I always see it as just another way of looking at things. Like for whatever true thing you believe, the opposite is also likely to be true. I'd like to welcome Derek Sivers to the Productivity is Podcast. Derek, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Mike. I had to practice saying productivityist, productivityist a few times. <laughs> you are not the before first. our call today, and you will not be the last. Uh, it, but the other thing is, what happens is some people end up saying, "Well, thanks, Mark Vardy." I'm like, "Well, no, I get that because the R and the Ike and the Mike, it all kind of gets." So they get productivityist nailed down. They're like, "Well, thanks, Mark." I'm like, "All right." <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, it's a good word, though. I like it. Productivity. It, it, it's interesting because it came from this this place of me saying I was an enthusiast uh, about productivity mm -hmm. and I became a specialist mm -hmm. and a strategist. So we just threw the ist at the end and I kind of just coined it ad hoc on a podcast that I used to co-host. Uh, and uh, someone heard me say it and then they mentioned it in a blog post and it kind of took on a life of its own, which... Uh, and what's interesting is I, I never really said that I'm the productivityist. I, I've said anybody can be a productivityist, right? But right. but what's happened is it's kind of, you don't get to decide that. I, I mean, you could say all that stuff, but then people, I mean, even my old podcast producer said, I, you know, I was in on, on his program. He has a podcast and he said, I'd like to welcome the productivityist, Mike Varditz. I'm like, I'm not the productivityist. I'm just, I my company's called that. So I've kind of leaning into, all right, the audience has kind of spoken. The crowd has Maybe. spoken. This is, you don't get to say. So which they've named you. Yeah, like like Debbie Harry gets called Blondie. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's true. She, I mean, it's a band, but you're right. I guess that's the way it works. Um, I want to talk a little bit uh, out of the gate about um, the one of the books that you're that you've you've you've, you've been working on as of mm -hmm. as of right now. And it's a pretty ambitious title, but I mean, I've followed your work for a while and kept up with what you've been doing, and, and it, it totally fits in the cadence of, 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 of what you've written, the lexicon of Derek Sivers as it is. <laughs> <laughs> the reason you, what's the reason you decided to write this book called How to Live? And then the lessons, and this is a bigger question, but the lessons you've learned while writing that book. Ooh, okay. So the reason why is I, for six years was living on a wharf in the ocean in New Zealand, thinking about where else I wanted to be in the world or what other approaches I could take in life. That sometimes I would create a possible future where I dive down the hole of intellectualism and I I dive into the world of ideas and study and I read a book every single day and I study a new culture every month and I learn a new language every year and and I'd spend many hours or days writing about that way I could live. And then I'd take a little walk outside in the forest and I'd think, no, you know what? No, this is how to live. Like the nature. This is what it's all. I mean, just oxygen and just life and living. And I, yeah, ideas are interesting, but you know, without this moving your legs and breathing fresh air and just appreciating the nuances of that rotting tree and the curls on this fern. Yeah, this is how to live. And I'd spend a while thinking that's the way to go. And I think, no, you know what? Travel, man. Travel's what it's all about. You got to experience these things. It can't be in theory. It has to be in practice. You got to go to a place and viscerally experience. And so I spent many years of my life thinking of these possible futures and each time 
deciding that this is the way to be. You know what? No, it's time I start a business. I'm going to throw my – yeah, creating a business. That's creating value to the world. That's giving back to the people, et cetera. Okay, I could keep going. And so I did. So the book How to Live is um, exploring that I never feel that one thing is right and others are wrong. Instead, I always see it as just another way of looking at things. Like for whatever true thing you believe – the opposite is also likely to be true. So the book How to Live is very opinionated. Each chapter thinks that it is right and all others are wrong. But the catch is that each chapter has a different perspective, so it disagrees with all the other chapters. Um, so that's the book. And it's an absolute blast to write. And what's cool is it comes to a conclusion that was actually a total surprise to me and made me scream with delight when I found the conclusion to all of this. But I'm not going to reveal the conclusion yet. That would be ridiculous. Uh, what did you, you asked about lessons no, no, learned? Well, I think that, but the lessons, I mean, I think as you were talking about it, like you kind of unveiled some of the lessons, like there's no right or wrong way in a lot of ways. Like these, these, these chapters, like you said, they're warring against each other. And one of the things that you mentioned, like you, you seem to be endlessly curious too, which I mean, is that something that as you wrote the book, you real you kind of dove deeper into that curiosity because you've done a lot of things and you, and you've explored a lot of different things. So there's gotta be that writing this book kind of fed that curiosity to, to a real strong degree. I guess, um, curiosity. I mean, I guess so. I don't know. It's all relative to, to what? I mean, I guess I have an active mind. It helps that for decades now, you know, it's like I'm 50 now. And for ever since I was a teenager, I've slowly been crafting a life of freedom. So whenever I was given the choice between uh, the choice that would involve lots of responsibility and obligations, I would go the other way towards a life of uh, less responsibility and more freedom. So I've crafted a life where I have lots of free time. So I spend hours and hours and hours a day just thinking and writing. Mm -hmm. uh, well, actually, just always writing. Right. <laughs> thinking is writing. Yeah. I'm always writing. Like pretty much from as soon as I wake up until I go to sleep, I'm doing some form of writing or talking like this, I guess. If I'm not writing, I'm talking. Um, I have very little nil time. Like I don't. I don't watch things, right. you know, I don't watch movies or shows or videos. Um, anyway, but so yeah, these r rabbit holes that I, uh, dove down, I think one of the lessons learned is that it's easy to get sucked in to believing that one way is right. Mm -hmm. So I do it every time I write a chapter of this book, I I'm writing chapter seven about, a delayed gratification. And while writing it, I'm completely convinced that, yeah, you know what, this, I know I'm writing this book, but really this is truly the best way to live. This is the answer to life. This is how we should all be living. And, you know, even though I know I'm writing the book, I get sucked into believing that this is right and other things are wrong. And I think it's because we want certainty. Like we get into a certain mindset and in that mindset, these certain things are right and everything else is wrong. Right. But then it's also so easy to get into a different mindset. If someone shows you a different point of view, 
so I, you know, I love those um, transformation of belief movies. Like I know the first one that comes to mind is American History X, mm-hmm. where somebody believes one thing at the start of the movie very, very strongly, and by the end of the movie they believe the opposite. And I love that. We all do that in our lives. Speaking of like constraints, because you talked about freedom and I want to get some thoughts on, on, I mean, you, you, you've kind of worked your way towards like more freedom, less responsibility, but the, in terms, you've also talked about the idea of, you know, keeping your goals to yourself. Right. And, and it's either a hell yeah, or it's a no, which is a form of constraint and boundaries. So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that because I think some people really need framing and constraints to kind of keep them from going too far off in a direction that they don't necessarily want to go in at least. And and then they find themselves there going, how the hell did I get here? Totally agree. And this is a under discussed subject. I love that you brought this up. Um, If you're looking at a blank page, it's a little daunting to think what to put there. But if somebody said, okay, now make me a drawing using only a triangle, um, this piece of charcoal, and uh, four lines, and uh, make something that represents growth, (laughs) whatever. Well, now you've been given some guidelines and some constraints, and so now that's somewhat inspiring and maybe even liberating, even though the root of the word liberating is freeing, but somehow being given some constraints now frees you from the daunting prospect of of infinite possibility and reduces it down to a limited possibility that we can uh, uh, comprehend, Mm -hmm. we can conceive of. Uh, Same thing with music. Somebody says, yeah, write me a song about anything. Go. That's daunting. But if they say, write me a song about this using only these three notes and you can never play these two at the same time, go. Now you've been given some creative restraints. So uh, there's a beautiful book called The Listening Book by Walter Matthieu, uh, like 30 years ago. And he said, uh, restrictions will set you free. And I love that. Restrictions will set you free. Uh, Now, that's creatively. Mm -hmm. But in personal life, yeah, I also felt it personally when I sold my company I was single. I was not attached to anywhere. I'm not really into family. Uh, I had friends, but they were already spread out around the world. And suddenly I had really no responsibilities. And it was overwhelming. It was the blank page syndrome. I felt like, oh my God, I could go anywhere right now and do anything. I could go decide to make chessboards in Istanbul. I I could move to Chile and start a blueberry farm. (laughs) I could work on a fishing boat. Like, like, oh my God, it's the world is so overwhelmingly free. Uh, It was paralyzing. I'd often just kind of lay in bed and think of all the options. Five years later, you're like, crap. (laughs) Right, right. Still daydreaming. Uh, So, yeah, I did come to the conclusion that it's, good to have constraints and uh you know you've got kids you know that Mm -hmm. it can be 
amazing and enriching to commit to somebody, which is the opposite of freedom. And it can be amazing and enriching to commit to a place and become a part of a community. You know, we talk about like the the preppers that are talking about what to do when when a disaster strikes. Well, community is what you do when disaster strikes. It's not about being alone in a bunker in Montana. That's not a good survival plan. It's about being a an integral part of a community. Um, and that takes commitment, not uh, being a constant nomad. So, yeah, um, as with anything, I guess people just find the balance that's right for them. You know, it's all like this. There's no right or wrong answer. There's a spectrum. And some people are really happy having total commitment. They have four kids and three dogs, and they've been living in the same house with their spouse for 40 years. And <laughs> that's uh, that's their happiness set point and somebody else might be uh you know at the opposite end but just find the the little bit of commitment that feels right for them okay i'm going to take a break from my conversation with derek to talk about the sponsors of this episode and we're going to kick things off with one that's uh close to me right now because uh, i've had the ability to use it and it's something that i really wanted to use and uh, it's it's better help what interferes with your happiness? Is something preventing you from achieving your goals? I can tell you that during uh, this overwhelming period that many of us are in, myself included, um, we all could use some help. We have those roadblocks. We have that overwhelm. There's so much uncertainty. As And as somebody who really likes to engineer certainty within this realm of uncertainty, it can be challenging. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment. and It's incredibly convenient. Um, I've had the opportunity to work with my uh, therapist at this point in time already, both in terms of a video call. I've also done messages back and forth. Uh, the process of making it happen was simple. And honestly, it felt uh, freeing, which I think was really, really powerful. You can start communicating with your therapist in under 24 hours. I, I did. Uh, it's, it's really not self-help. It's professional counseling. And again, you can send a message to your counselor anytime. You'll get timely and, and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. Like I said, I've already done a video session and it was great and I'm going to do more. You can do this all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. You're sitting in the, in the comfort of your own home. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. And that's a bonus too if things just don't match up for you. So far, it's been working well for me. You can always switch things up. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. The service is available for clients worldwide and there's a broad range of expertise available which may not be locally available in many areas. Uh, licensed professional counselors that are available to you through BetterHelp are specialized in things like depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, uh, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, self-esteem, trauma, and anything you share is confidential. It's convenient, it's professional, and it's affordable. And you can check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. Now, keep in mind, BetterHelp is not a crisis line. So keep that in mind. But I will say that so many people have been using BetterHelp 
that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Now, I want you to start living a happier life today. I want you to take advantage of what BetterHelp has to offer. As a listener of the Productivity is Podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash timecrafting. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health, including yours truly. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash timecrafting. Take advantage of what BetterHelp is offering you today. Now let's get back to my conversation with Derek Sivers here on the Productivityist podcast. I mean, I'm a big believer in productivity being personal. And you wrote about the idea of why time is personal. And when it's fact, in fact, as of this recording, it's the most recent post that I've, I've read. And you can also listen to it as well, which I'll make sure to link to in the show notes. But as soon as I, I literally started to beam as soon as you went through that, because I'm a big <laughs> believer in like, start the year you want anytime you want, you know, right now, especially as we're going through this season of uncertainty, it's like time is more fluid than it's ever really been. You almost need to, you have more uh, agency than, than yeah. you realize. So can you touch on that, idea, your, your, the, that, that piece in particular, because it really struck a chord. And I know people who've listened to my, to this podcast before in particular, um, know how I feel about it. And I'd love to get uh, your piece on that as well. Sure. Um, so for the audience listening, the core idea is, um, I wrote this post on new year's Eve because I was kind of annoyed that everybody was talking about the new year. Like this is a big deal that it's a new year tomorrow. You know, it's tw- tomorrow is 2020. So what are you going to do with the new year? And I just felt like, you know, it just today's just a regular old day. And so is tomorrow. Like there were times in my life that were massively transformational where today is different than yesterday because I made a big decision or something big happened. But, you know, December 31st is not one of them. So how weird to celebrate some kind of assigned day, kind of like the February 14th, you're supposed to be extra romantic that day, you know? Um, and then I thought about midnight. I've often had uh, discussions with friends about the concept of midnight, where suddenly at 12.01 a.m. they say, well, it, that was yesterday, now it's tomorrow. I'm like, no, come on, look outside. Did something change? No. What a weird, arbitrary, forced, kind of fake yep. lie, like an agreed upon lie that 12.01 is tomorrow and 11.59 was yesterday. Like if you ignore these man-made clocks, which are a very, very recent invention, very recent, and you look outside, no, nobody would agree that that was when it became tomorrow. So I'd argue that, you know, it's when the sun comes up, but I understand we have to have airplanes and trains that schedule and arrive on time. And so I understand why it was invented. So I'm not going to, you know, try to uh, demolish it, but no, let's admit it. Like, it's tomorrow when I wake up and your tomorrow might be when, if you wake up at noon, that's your tomorrow. Um, you know, 4 a.m. was still yesterday for you because you were still awake. Whereas to me, if I wake up at 5 a.m., well, that's my tomorrow. And anyway, so um, I I got to say, though, I don't know how much of this uh, point of view is influenced by the fact that I can be quite an introvert. And I think I didn't even realize how much of an introvert I was until I was living in Singapore, right in like the main central square. Uh, in Singapore, it's called Marina Bay. 
but you know, in your city, it could be Union Square or whatever, that big central area where they put on events and things like marathon races begin. And it's just kind of assumed that nobody really lives there. It's just kind of this big square where we all put on events. But some people live on that square. And I was one of those people that lived on that square. And I signed a two-year lease. And I regretted it almost right away because I found out that almost every week there was some big noisy event that they would do at like a Sunday morning at 6 a.m. I'd be fast asleep. And all of a sudden I'd start to hear outside. <laughs> And I'm like, what the hell? I'd look out my window and I'd see like a bunch of people with numbers on their chest and a bunch of people with bullhorns yelling and everybody organized and PA systems and all this fuss and screaming and yelling. And it'd just be like some marathon going on outside. And they found these, you know, 5K rays, 10K rays, the try something race. And it felt like every month there was one of these things that I would be cursing on a Sunday morning. And my thought was like, who would subject themselves to this? Like, you could have gone on the same 5K run yesterday, and you would have been the only person out here. You could have gone running along the shore, a nice, quiet 5K run, but why would somebody subject themselves to all of this, you know, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> and then, yeah, my friend said, Derek, I think you're an introvert. Yeah. Some people like being around other people. And I went, oh, right. So some people like, it's, uh, you know, all getting into Star Wars on, on the 4th of May or everybody's celebrating with hearts and flowers and boxes of chocolates on the 14th of February. And they like everybody getting together on December 31st to get drunk and silly nostalgic or whatever. Um they like that, but you know, personally, I just I like my celebrations to be private. Well, and I think the uh, the interesting thing about that is you can have ebb and flow too, right? Like, I mean, I know that I start my year on September first, but my the rest of my family is like, "You're crazy." You, I mean, uh-huh. so I do. I they know my expectation, which is on, on the thirty first of December, I'll celebrate with them. But they, but the joke is, you know, they they kind of get in like, "Oh, well, why are you here?" Like, so it becomes a bit of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's you great. Know, and and you I mean, in all honesty, the reason I've I celebrate uh, it, it, it isn't completely arbitrary because my kids start the school year in September. So I was just about to ask you if that's why September first, because right. I I got to admit, for most of my childhood, that felt like the true new year, like the yep. smell of autumn and the the fresh pencils and school box and new notebooks and erasers. Like ah, this is the beginning of a new year. Yeah, I get it. And and you know, I'm not the only one that does this. I've looked like when I was kind of because you want some value. I think I'm I'm probably a pseudo extrovert. I've read you know Susan Cain's you know um, Quiet, and I'm. I used to be far more extroverted, but I think over the years I've kind of pulled back a little bit or I've just always been that way and have pushed myself out a little bit. But when I was reading um, who else starts, I'm like, who starts here in September? Martin Short starts his year in September, the comedian. He does it the same reason. He he looks at it as the school year. Gretchen Rubin mentions that she starts September as well. So, I mean, mm. I think you can, what's interesting is when people listen, there's no... I mean, again, to use a Star Wars reference, 
only a Sith deals in absolutes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you can. So I'm not saying you're a Sith Lord. Let's be clear. But I, I think that what's interesting is you can pick and choose. You could say, like, you know, Valentine's Day for me is. I mean, I'm, I'm married. You know, my wife and I don't really celebrate Valentine's Day. But I can say that my daughter was born the day before Valentine's Day. So one mm. of the jokes we always make is she's got a boyfriend now. Don't try to combine those gifts. Right. Like, so there's, mm. so I, I think having an understanding of that is, is important. But I think what's important, more important is, is not to be beholden to them because everybody is. I mean, just because New Year's Eve for the Gregorian calendar says January 1st doesn't mean it needs to be that way for you. In fact, for most people, it isn't. Uh, look at Chinese New Year for crying out. Right, right. Now, we've heard for years that it's important to have a diversified portfolio. That's stocks, bonds, mutual funds, that kind of thing. But if you've ever looked at a breakdown of the most successful portfolios, you'll typically see a diversified set of real estate. So why isn't one of the first asset classes that you consider when you're looking to diversify? It's pretty simple. It hasn't been available to investors like you and me until now, thanks to Fundrise. See, Fundrise makes it easy for all investors to diversify by building you a portfolio of institutional quality real estate investments. So whether you're just starting to invest in real estate or looking to add more, our friends at Fundrise have you covered. Here's how. Fundrise is an investing platform that makes investing in high quality, high potential real estate as easy as investing in your favorite stock or mutual fund. Whether you're looking to add stable cash flow via dividends or prefer long-term growth through appreciation, Fundrise has you covered. To date, Fundrise manages more than 1 billion in assets for over 130,000 investors. And since 2014, the Fundrise platform has averaged 8.7 to 12.4% annual returns. And investors have earned more than 79 million in dividends alone. Fundrise's team of real estate professionals carefully vets and actively manages all of their real estate projects. And with their easy to use website, you can track your portfolio's performance and watch as properties across the country are acquired, improved, and operated via asset updates. Start building your better portfolio today. You can get started at fundrise.com slash timecrafting to have your first 90 days of advisory fees completely waived. That's the first 90 days of your advisory fees waived. So go to fundrise.com. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash timecrafting to have your first 90 days. That's a lot of days of advisory fees waived. Go to fundrise.com slash timecrafting and take advantage of this offer today. Now let's get back to my conversation with Derek Sivers here on the Productivityist podcast. I want to talk a little bit about what does get your attention and what you pay attention to now, as opposed to what you did as you started off on this journey. And maybe not, maybe the what you pay attention to, but also who, like some of the people that you paid attention to, the authors that you read, the, the, you know, the kind of the edicts that you followed when you first started this journey, because you, you mentioned you're 50 and now you're, you had CD baby and you had your business and now you're doing other things. Where, what, where's your attention shifted? What's remained the same? I'd love to hear some of that. It's funny. I'll, I'll answer, but first I got to say that it's funny for me. I think if I've had many big phases in my life and the one I'm in now is like the fourth big phase. Yeah. So 
it's kind of like saying the beginning of this journey is like saying the beginning of chapter four, you know? Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so yeah, it's, it's like I had a whole section of my life where all I wanted to do was to be a famous musician. I was completely monomaniacally focused on that one thing. I did that for 15 years and then I did nothing but CD baby for 10 years. And now I think I might be at the tail end or at the end of this uh, 12 years of just kind of exploring and adventuring and lifting my head up and enjoying having no responsibility and feeling very nomadic, like the nomadic explorer. But sometimes it's, uh, sometimes it's a personal feeling of feeling done doing something, but sometimes the world nudges you. So the reason I moved to England last year was to travel my butt off. And uh, now in 2020, I'm having to make a whole new plan and realize that uh, that the reason I'm here is now moot and the idea of traveling is not necessary for what I want. And I had to reevaluate all that. But you were asking who. So I read Tim Ferriss's four hour work week as I was already kind of living it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had my, I was the owner of a company that had 85 employees and yet I was living uh, across the world uh, solo reading the four hour work week when he was talking about, you know, delegating all the work and outsourcing your business and all that kind of stuff. So I was already kind of living it and it's sweet. Actually, I haven't read the second edition, but I, I, I hear that I'm in the second edition of the book. Like I met, I was such a fan of the first edition of the book in 2007. I contacted Tim. I was like, dude, this is amazing. And so we met up and became friends. And then I guess he learned more about me through that. And so I heard that there's a second edition that I'm, I'm in, but that was a huge influence on me because it was, that was right as I was coming out of 10 years of being monomaniacally focused on running CD Baby. And I was just lifting my head up and feeling done with it. And yeah, sure enough, I sold the company the next year. Again, but that was nudged from the outside. Um, I just had three good offers in one week to buy the company and I'd been saying no for years. And so I finally said yes. So the the world gave me a little nudge that I was uh, already headed out. But um, it's funny, Seth Godin is somebody that was very much a guru to me when I was running my company. And as much as he's still a friend now, and I love his podcast, the stuff he talks about isn't uh, as pertinent to what I'm doing now or interested in now. But on the other hand, uh, Tyler Cohen, who has this great podcast called Conversations with Tyler, and he's an economist at George Mason University that's written a bunch of books. His thinking is becoming much more interesting to me. And so is John McWhorter, who is a linguist that I just find fascinating. I'm more into uh, cultural learning than I was before, and I'm taking myself more seriously as a writer. I never called myself a writer before until just a year or two ago. I finally admitted that I'm into writing now. So I'm yeah, thinking of myself less as an entrepreneur um, and more of a writer. So I don't know. I think you, you're catching me at the very end of my, you know, 
fourth phase and ready to start a new one. So sorry, I don't, I'm not no, sure no, if I no. gave a good no, answer no, to that, that. And the reason I asked that question is because I felt a lot of the, the, when I first started doing this, like I was reading the David Allens and the Stephen Coveys and the, you know, all uh, of that stuff. Uh, and now I'm finding that I'm spending more time looking at, say, the Austin Cleon. And right. the, you know what I mean? And, the, and the, well, I mean, I, it, you, I've read your work throughout. And even when I read Seth Godin's stuff now, there, a friend of mine, again, the very friend that I co-hosted the podcast with I mentioned earlier, um, he said, you know, not everything Seth writes uh, resonates, but I stay subscribed because every once in a while, there's something that just hits, right? It's just, and so, right. and um, there's, I mean, Cal Newport's another one who I've read for, but it's not for the productivity stuff. It's for the, you know, some of the deeper stuff. So the reason I ask that is, uh, and Rob Walker's another one who wrote The Art of Noticing and, and, you know, those kind of things I'm paying attention to. So that's why I ask, because I, I, I feel that as you make your way through the stuff you, you paid attention to earlier, um, it's elements of it are still there but now it, it the horizons have changed like you said there's different seasons or phases that you're in so you know actually let's stay on this topic for just a second sure, yeah. because i think of it as i was deep in music for 15 years and i'm not even talking cdba i mean in the 15 years mm. from age 14 to 29 where every waking moment was completely focused on making music that's all i did and all i cared about um and I learned a ton about music and I was deep into music and I read books about music and I analyzed songs and I broke it apart and just everything. And I don't make music anymore, but I can still appreciate, like if I were to read a book now about making music, I can still appreciate it because that was one of my worlds. I lived there, you know, yeah. I, I still, it's, it's like a, like a physical place that you used to live. Yep. It's, you know, somebody used to live in Chicago. I don't live in Chicago anymore, but if I read the Chicago news, I'm like, ah, my old neighborhood. And you can get into it. You know, the references you get, oh yeah, the hot dogs, I get that. Oh wow. Comiskey park. I get, you know, whatever the Navy pier, they, you can, you can get the references. I used to live there. And so I can, so that's what I meant about Seth Godin that I still, it's one of the, oh, I only listened to three podcasts and Akimbo, Seth Godin's podcast is one of them and I'll read anything he puts out instantly. I'm still a super fan, but it's mostly speaking to my chapter three, you know, right, right. <laughs> it's, it's speaking to my previous chapter when I was focused on my business. And now I just, anything having to do with business uh, customers, marketing, profits, all that stuff. I've just noticed that my eyes just glaze over my, my yeah. ears blur <laughs> when somebody talks about these subjects. Cause it's just where I used to live. Um, also I used to have a dog and I used to be super, super into dogs. And now when I see another dog on the street, I stop and I go, Oh, and I'd stop and I talk to the owner like, well, wow, what, what kind of dog is it? Oh, that's really awesome. And I, and I, but that was, it was my past self. Uh, it's not my present. I'm not as into dogs as I used to be. It's just a, a touristy nostalgic kind of interest now. You're kind um, of delighted by it, but not, not, not exit. Like, I mean, and again, there's different levels of it. Like I know when I watch like the good place, the comedy show, the good place. And I saw, comedy done in a way that I hadn't seen in a while. And I grew, you know, that's what I spent a lot of my time with. Right. Like, oh, this is so good. And then 
what I've what I've noticed is, and and it's funny because this is a lesson that Jerry Seinfeld talks about in comedian. He goes, comedians always look through the world through a very strange lens, and he mentions this in the documentary where he'll say, uh, you know, I go into the 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 bathroom of a of a airplane a re, air, a air airplane restroom, and I see a razor disposal unit. And I'm not thinking, oh, well, someone just forgot to change. That's there in case someone needs to change a blade that they forgot to change. <laughs> no, what I'm thinking is who's shaving so much that they're going through blades? And he's like acting out like the wolfman shaving is. He goes, I can't help that. And what's fascinating to me now is that I take the some of the things I've learned from comedy or even when I'm watching something like I'm a pro wrestling fan. I will watch pro wrestling. It's a bit of an escape. And and I'll I'll, I'll see some stuff there and I'll go. I'll be delighted by it to a degree because there's certain things that I can see from it and go, Oh, does, how does that fit now? Like, is there any of it that fits now? And if not, I just toss it. But if sometimes it does and I'm like, Oh, this is cool. Let me dig deeper into that. Does that still happen for you with music? I think might be the place because there's, it's an art, right? Like there's some, as maybe opposed to the business stuff. Like, does that still, does that still, you know, kind of resonate with you? Yeah, but I I got to again, sorry, I love that we're talking about this because yeah, not only does music still resonate with me and even specific kinds of music. I went to a jazz school. I know a lot about jazz. I know a lot about orchestration. I also know a lot about 80s metal <laughs> because that's what I started with. And I love these separate interests, but then what I love is continuing to expand these interests into things that, you know, a few months ago I had no interest in, right? So right. just a couple months ago, out of curiosity, I learned something about uh, men's suits. I had never had any interest in suits. And suddenly I did. I just, somebody told me something about Savile Row. I'm living here in Oxford, England, and London is just down the road. And Savile Row is this interesting road in London with this long history of tailors. So I just wanted to learn something about men's suits and why people get really into it. And there's this brilliant guy on YouTube. I'd love it if you could link to him in the show notes. Mm. Uh, Hugo Jacomet, H-U-G-O-J-A-C- O-M-E-T, Hugo Jacomet, French guy with long white hair that talks on YouTube about the sartorial excellence of men's clothing. And I found it fascinating learning about what a double-breasted versus single-breasted suit communicates and why, you know, why the peak lapels versus notch lapels and all this stuff and not doing it for any uh, goal, but it just became a thing that... I learned about and now I find interesting. And so now it's it's become a language that I speak a little bit. Right. You know, like if you learn a little bit of French and now you can recognize when somebody says, eh, it's just a little je ne sais quoi. Yeah. <laughs> and you go, ah, ah, I get I know what that means now. Um uh the language of suits. Okay, so then there's same with Indonesia. And now same with dogs. Two years ago, I had you know, no interest in dogs. A year ago, I got interested in dogs, uh, as I described. Um, God, what else? Uh, I don't know. They're just other. I just learned how to play backgammon two months ago uh, because I went to Istanbul in January and 
uh, saw that everybody's into backgammon. And I thought, you know, this is like a 4,000 year old game. There must be something good about it. <laughs> it's been so I read a, a yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I read a book about backgammon. I got a backgammon uh, training app, and just in kind of that last like no energy hour before falling asleep, I started learning backgammon and playing against the computer. and And I think it's kind of cool that now I get backgammon, and it's really fun to expand your horizon with these things and and understand Chinese opera and understand uh, whatever it uh, you know. The dairy industry. There's a, a great book called Salt, that uh, written by the same book. I mean, written by the same author of uh, that wrote Cod. So, Cod is this masterpiece of a book explaining how the fish called cod changed the world. And then later he wrote the book Salt, explaining how salt changed the world, looking at the world through the point of view of salt. It's just it's so fun to expand your horizons to understand these things. You've heard me talk about Text Expander before and how it is such a boon and a boost to my productivity. Well, today alone, I sent over a hundred emails and Text Expander was one of my biggest productivity allies during that process. And you can supercharge your team with the power of Text Expander. Your team can do more with the same resources. There's less repetition, fewer errors, and greater consistency. That'll have your team feeling like they've hopped off a bicycle and into a Ferrari or perhaps another fast car that you really like to drive or would like to drive. You can keep your team consistent, accurate, and current with snippets, shared snippets. You can share your text images with the whole staff to keep them on track and everyone will share the same message and give the same answers to all customer questions. This is really important when you're trying to have a consistent message across your company's uh, you know, emails and, and, and other types of communication. Text Expander makes that possible simply and easily. You can work faster and smarter. Use Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations to streamline and speed up everything you type. Like I said, I've been using those today with the podcast emails alone. Uh, it's, it's just a phenomenal time saver. And you can create those powerful snippets to save you time so that all you type is that short abbreviation. Text Expander does the rest of the typing for you. You keep your whole team communicating efficiently and with consistent language. Again, that's such a powerful and productive way to operate. Again, messages that you can share via snippets are, are you know, signatures, descriptions with everyone who works on projects with you, and so much more. And Text Expander is available on a wide variety of platforms, Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, iPad. It's simply phenomenal. You want to have Text Expander on your side when it comes to being a productivity powerhouse. And I highly recommend that you take advantage of the offer that they're giving Productivity as Podcast listeners today. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast and get 20% off your first year. So go to that page, choose the Productivity as Podcast from the dropdown, and you'll get 20% off your first year. I've been a Text Expander user for eons, and I'm going to keep using them because they're just that much of a help to me. And I know they can be a help to you as well. So again, textexpander.com slash podcast, get 20% off your first year. Take advantage of what Text Expander is offering you, the Productivity as Podcast listener, now. Now let's get back to my conversation with Derek Sivers here on the Productivityist Podcast. Well, one of the things that that I've done recently is uh, I've started to look at um, 
and this is really, uh, it's not really too far off topic, but it's, I mean, just the idea of exploration is my daughter's into TikTok, right? And so I've, which is that what, what musically was, um, you know, now TikTok is. So I've started to go down it because like, I want to understand it. I want to see it. I want to be able to kind of speak her language a bit. Um, and then I found that there was some of these people that are famous YouTubers who were on Vine that did it. And one of them happened to be a child actor that my daughter used to watch when she was growing up. And we would watch this show together. And his name is Josh Peck. And I'm like, oh, well, I remember this guy. He used to be on this show. And I watched one of his YouTube videos. So I'm starting to explore. And then all of a sudden at the end of the YouTube video, he goes, you listen to my podcast called, oddly enough, coincidentally, of curious and i'm like oh he's probably just talking to youtubers and his friends no he's talking to like david epstein he's talking to malcolm gladwell he's talking to all of these people that i'm interested in and i'm going so it it, it kind of <laughs> broke my impression like it and it made me lean more into like okay this kid who was on a nickelodeon show who's goofing around with these vine kids and i can say kids because i'm 46 <laughs> um i'm like sitting there going this this guy I am now interested in, and I had no because I spent the I spent the time I invested the time looking at things just going into those little little vortexes or these little rabbit holes, and and you you I mean these you talk about uh, like these monthly self expansion projects and I'll I'll link to the you've talked about them and so I'll make sure I link to them but I think it's also not just um, not just themes or uh, topics of interest, but people of interest that I'm finding, especially right now with this lack of connection that we are experiencing because we can't necessarily go out and see people as readily. That's something I've been leaning into and have been fascinated by as well. Love it. Yeah, it's uh, that's a, yeah, I just thank you for bringing that up. It's so fascinating. And that especially the TikTok example and that guy, that's such a great example. It's it's just we especially since and and I guess this is another interesting scenario that comes up is uh, as a as a as a kind of a sidebar to that is my daughter's seeing me on there and she goes oh you're you're using the platform wrong you're not using it the way it's meant to be used <laughs> and I've been around long enough again sp- speaking of constraints um, to know that if you're given this blank page which is what it is you get a chance to decide you can decide now you're you're your results may vary, right? Depending on how you use it. And there's a whole bunch of factors in there, but lately, you know what I've been doing with it is honestly just having fun within the constraints that I've created for myself within it. So I'm going to talk about the productivity stuff to a degree, but I'm going to have fun doing it. And I'm having a lot of fun, which is something that I think people can lose sight of a bit when they, when they are so wrapped up in being productive that they lose that, joy that fun that um this has got to be fun for you right now just the, this season in particular as as has it always been that way because when i've followed your work i'm like derek looks like he's having a lot of fun yeah um, what do you mean about this season like this like this phase in your life right now you we just finished talking about different chapters and each chapter of your life that we we kind of alluded to you know like cd baby and all like where we're where you are now and you said you're seemingly at the tail end it seems that Along the way, as I've read your stuff, as I've kept up with you, you've had fun every step of the way. Yeah. I mean, that's the reason I do things. Um, 
Yes, back when I was an aspiring musician, I wasn't having as much fun. There was a lot of anguish. I was trying very hard to be famous uh, and living in, you know, swimming in the pool of rejection every single day. Uh, so that was a bit of a drag. But, you know, I was free and I was a full-time musician. I bought my house with the money I made making music. You know, I was kind of living the dream, even though it was a, a difficult struggle. And then, yeah, CD Baby was just fun. Uh, that was a blast. It got to be a real drag at the end when I had too many employees and too many uh, employee issues, but that's why I left. Uh, and then everything since then, of course, has been just doing whatever seems interesting. Um, yeah, I guess it's just a given. I, I don't do something if it's not fun, and that's a wonderful luxury to have. And sometimes people um, criticize me for that luxury or give the whole kind of, uh, yeah, easy for you to say you're rich kind of thing. But I was like this in my 20s, too, when I had whatever $12,000 in the bank, and that was enough for me. You know, like I've always just found a way to live on very little so that I don't have to do things I don't want to do. As we get close to wrapping up, I want to talk about something that might not be fun for a lot of people, and that's email. <laughs> Especially when, uh, uh, when they hear the numbers I'm going to throw at them right now. Um, you recently, uh, as we're recording this talk, but I've answered 2,100 emails in the last 48 hours, 4,000 left. This is intense, but I'm thankful for the connection. <laughs> Most people would stop like this is intense and they leave it at that. You took it a step further. So what the, the what your relationship with email is, is we talked about Chris Gillibo before we jumped on the, the, the recording here. Cause Chris is really good with email too. Chris is, he, he will respond. It's, it's one of the great relationships that I've had with someone via email where I know if I send Chris an email, I'm going to get an email back. You were like that. Seth Godin, my first ever podcast I did back when I was doing productivity parody, I did, I did what Tim Ferriss suggested in, uh, in the four hour work weekend and he, reach out to somebody. Like, you know, he's that lesson is there. I reached out to Seth Godin with zero audience and he replied and said, sure, I'd love to be on the show. And hmm. I was freaking out. And it was a parody. It was like a Stephen Colbert-esque kind of thing where I was pretending to be this uh, productivity pundit. And he played along beautifully. During the interview, I thought it was tanking. But when I listened back to him, like, oh, he got it. He was, he knew what I was trying. He was very, very, <laughs> it was great. Um, interestingly enough, that scenario um, has kind of, you know, led me to like how I try to deal with email, but not to the degree that like this. Is. So what what led you, this particular period where you said I'm answering this many emails? That was that was deliberate choice. Like what is that something that you do regularly? How do you what is your relationship like with email? Because I think a lot of people struggle with that. Sure. There's a famous quote that many writers have said, which is. I hate writing, but I love having written. Right. So I don't love emailing, but I love having emailed. On the other hand, I don't hate emailing. I mean, it takes time and it's emotionally draining, but so is socializing. You know, if you were going to lots of parties or meeting with lots of people or lots of events or lots of conferences, it is draining, but it's worth it for the people you meet. You would walk away from that having connected with lots of people and have a great network of people you now know. So that's what my inbox is. Uh, to me, it's 
way more efficient than flying across the world to attend an event in person or way more efficient than meeting up one-on-one face-to-face with four different people a day. Instead, I can plow through, you know, as I said, whatever, uh, 500 emails per day. Uh, And it's a little connection, but I'm okay with that. But then there's also the fact that many of my good friends and even great loves of my life have started as a stranger in my email inbox. So I get a huge sense of security from all the people I know in the world that feels wonderful to me, that I could get on a plane to anywhere. I could go to Ghana and look up in my database from my past emails, who do I know in Ghana? All right, I know 12 people in Ghana and I can email them and say, hey, I'm in Ghana. Can you meet up? (laughs) And that's such a great feeling that 12 strangers from Ghana have reached out to me. I replied, we've got a kind of reciprocity going on. Um, It's a loose connection, but it's there to potentially turn into a deeper connection. And yeah, like I said, and a a few have turned into the deepest possible connection. Um, And lastly, let's admit it. Emailing can be a wonderful way to procrastinate when the other option is doing some really hard work, whether that's hard emotional work or hard intellectual work or whatever. It can be nice to uh, just revert to the email inbox and just do that. So I enjoy it for all of these reasons. It's difficult, but it's worth it. And wherever I am in the world, I find it pretty amazing that I can be sitting in one spot with my cup of tea, connecting with hundreds of people from all around the world in different walks of life. And I actually, I love that I don't know how old people are, what they look like. Sometimes I don't even know the gender. I can't even tell by the name. That's really cool. I like that we can just have these little conversations without any of the prejudices of age or gender or race or whatever, you know? It's, I like, I don't know, just all around, I love it. So yeah, as you can tell by the way, audience, you should you should email me and say hello and introduce yourself. <laughs> Derek, this has been a great connection today. I really do appreciate you taking the time. Where can people where can people email you, and then where can they keep up with what you're doing right now? I've kind of thrown you a nice softball there because we all know. Just go to sivers.org, my website, s i v e r s dot o r g. I don't really uh, do any of the social media stuff. I just I've been there, done that for so many years that I've seen companies start and crash and disappear. And so I just don't depend on anything but my own website and my email address is there. So uh, email me and introduce yourself and say hello. Derek, thank you so much for joining me today on the Productivity is Podcast. Thanks, Mike.